Hey, Pernosos, welcome back to the podcast. I'm your host, Bruce from Printavo. Super excited to have another episode. We've got Mr. Stephen Farrag out of Campus Inc. We've got a super awesome guest today, Henry Ma, CEO of Recoma. Recoma Mix Embroidery Machines are down in Florida. They've got this um, uh, really cool like conference they do every year called Deco Summit. That I'll, that we'll join or go visit and and help and talk at and things. But anyway, we'll get into the episode. But very quickly, got a couple of awesome sponsors. Do you need a solution to improve efficiency and reduce costs in your art department? If you go to one nine hundred hotstuffcom um, you'll find uh, an awesome website where uh, Lucas and Nick Wood are because they work for Graphic Source, and Graphic Source offers industry leading options for your shop. And they're truly a part of your team. They plug and play with Printavo and other shop management softwares. And when it comes to SEPs, mockups, creative art, order management, embroidery digitizing, back office admin, and customer service, there's no better company in our industry to work with. Hit them up at graphicsource.com for art staffing needs and mention the Printavo podcast for 50% off your first vector, SEP, or embroidery order. Thanks, Graphic, graphic source. source. All right, next up, we got Easy Way, Easy Way, Easy Way. You shouldn't spend all day cleaning dirty screens. Easy Way's line of environmentally conscious chemicals will get the job done faster, more efficiently, and cost you a fraction of the cost per screen. Thanks, Easy Way. Bruce, have you heard of Multicraft underscore daddy? Who dat? If you need ink supplies or a daddy, Multicraft Screen Printing and Digital Supplies for over 50 years has been providing you with top brands at competitive prices. Mention the Printavo podcast and receive an extra 10% off your first order. Hit up Dave Eggers and the Multicraft team. Thanks, Multicraft. Sweet. Last but not least, Supercolor. Mr. Steven. What do you use Supercolor for in your shop? Supercolor is is the world's best heat transfer. Made by screen printers for screen printers, Supercolor understands firsthand the pressures and expectations of the screen printing business. That's why they pride themselves on being super fast and super easy. We use Supercolor in our shop. They know how to hit color gamuts. They know how to ship anywhere in the country really, really fast. And you can experience them for yourself using promo code PRINTAVO15 to get 15% off your order. Thanks, Supercolor. I uh, just texting Rum. Um, he pressed Jesus because Chris had my wife's working on the scrubs, as you know, um, and then she's getting to the point of labeling and, uh, like, you know, you know, like how Lululemon or Vori or one of those has like the cool little, like he press kind of thicker, but on some sort of specialty athletic fabric. So he's super nice. He was like, dude, come on in. Like we'll test it on different fabrics, see what sticks, you know, you can wash it and play around with it and stuff. So I was like, oh, that's awesome. That's exciting. Their, their facility is insane. So thanks to our sponsors. Um, we're going to have a fun show today. Mr. Henry Ma, welcome to the show. Thank you, Bruce. Thank you for having me. This is Stephen, by the way. Stephen Fair. you haven't met him before. By the way, your, your, your backdrop is sweet. Yeah, um, it's like a brick, brick veneer sort of thing. Yeah, with the lighting it, and everything. Do you have backlight? Need... Yeah. We have a, like a little light here. This is a studio. studio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We or, kind of built, built out a small studio. We're outgrowing it though. It's like, you don't see it behind the scenes, but uh, <laughs> I'm like up against a, a machine, a, a table. It's pretty pretty packed in here with lights and everything. 
Yeah, we need to step our game up, Farag. So normally I actually, Henry, go into, uh, I'll start at the beginning and I kind of want to tell a story, but I actually want to switch it up this time and sort of jump in at the present and then we'll figure it out from there. Okay. So uh, based on some some research on LinkedIn, uh, you've got about 66 employees on LinkedIn. Tell me, actually, for each bullet point, tell me if this is right or wrong. There's 66 people on LinkedIn. Is that right? I mean, no, at least for the headquarters aspect. Uh, no, we're actually at about like a hundred, uh, hundred twenty in headquarters. Okay, so people like are another, not updating their LinkedIn. Yeah. <laughs> and another like fifteen in uh, California, actually. So about like hundred thirty. Oh, really? Yeah, hundred thirty-five around there. That's cool. Where in California? Rancho, so more more east of of LA, Rancho Cucamonga, about like an hour from LA. Okay, that's super cool. So, all right. 100 plus 150, you know, team members. Um, Google says uh, 10 to 50 million in revenue. Uh, we're we're on track for about um, close to 100. We're probably on track to, to 100 million this year. Okay, Bruce, where are you so, getting your information? All right, look, everything <laughs> yeah, is clearly I mean, like underrepresented. It's, it's, yeah, <laughs> for for good reason, I guess. But um, no, we're we're um, we hit about 70 million um, last year. And wow. uh, we're we're on track for about a hundred. So we've been we've been running at about a you know fifty forty five to fifty percent growth clip for the last like two to three years consistently. I don't know how long that that'll last, but we'll, was we'll, that a blow hoping. up from COVID where people started switching hobbies and picking things up? And, yeah, for or, sure. Or is that I just think, consistent? I think the COVID definitely helped in the, in the sense where people were. Um, needing like equipment to build their business from home and stuff. So um, that definitely uh, had a spike. But then I, I think what we're, we've been seeing uh, on the fortunate side is that that hasn't dipped since then, which is good. So, mm. um, but it definitely, I think, I think it propelled the industry to like a whole new level. And then after that, it's just kind of like who can sustain that level of, of market share, right? But um, we definitely saw that the entire market size and the pie grew also like just pe more people got into the business and then i guess like that kind of uh, people saw how um people were able to sustain like a second source of income and, and revenue from that and i guess like they just um kept a lot more people kept on wanting to make that make sure that they have that safety net yeah it is uh my wife now has from COVID two heat presses um <laughs> <laughs> press <clears throat> and a large one. Thank you, HughPressNation.com. <laughs> um, but, but you know, I'm kind of curious. So with this scale, how do you spend your day? I, I think we all um, juggle way too many things. And I'm sure, you know, you yeah. may be in that bucket too. But at the same time, there must be some sort like you can't keep doing the same thing that I'm sure you, you know, at 10 million now closer to 100, right? So yeah. what do you spend your day thinking about? Sure. So it's funny you mentioned that because yeah, I've I've definitely seen a transition from that 10 million uh, range to where we're at now in terms of my day to day. I mean, I used to, I I remember back in the day, I used to like you know um, answer answer phone calls and um, talk to customers, answer tickets and support requests, um, go to like uh, dr um, drive alongs with technicians to visit our customers, like all that. It's you know I I wish I still had time to uh, do all that, but I think we've built a, a great team in place to be able to handle a lot of the day to day. And my my role now is really focusing on I think like 
probably over 70% of my time is focused on um, re recruiting and, re and retaining talent. That's really like the biggest part, like just dealing with people, you know, like it's, it's, it's at the end of the day, like a people business. So a lot of my time is spent on like recruiting, retention, um, following up with our team on, on those aspects. And then the other, I guess, 20, 30% is really on just overall like strategy on what other things we want to get into and hopefully be able to expand into those areas. I, I mean, I'm sure you guys have seen as well that over the years, we've ex we've uh, gradually expanded beyond just, just manufacturing of embroidery machines. We're now selling a lot of other stuff like uh, DTG printers and um, white tuner transfer printers, heat presses. All of that is to kind of expand our, our, our um, reach and our... Um, I guess, um, umbrella of, of services that we're able to offer. I, I was just stalking your LinkedIn a little <laughs> bit. Um, you were at, you know, you went to NYU for business school and then you were at Goldman Sachs as an investment banker, um, working on IPOs. Like, were you working in M&A? How did you fall into like investment banking into the decoration space? How, how did that all happen? Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's like complete, uh, other ends of the uh, opposite ends of the spectrum. It's like completely not not related. Um, but uh, you know, I think when I when I came out of NYU, I mean, I I kind of was around a lot of people that was all you know all day talking about finance. It was also something that I wanted to try um, gr growing up. I just I mean, I saw all these uh, things in the Wall Street Journal and and people like doing like multi billion dollar deals. And so it just seemed a lot of uh, it seemed interesting to be uh, able to have that experience. So after graduation, I, that's where I kind of um, joined. Uh, and, you know, it was a it was a great time and a great experience to be in, in investment banking. But, but then afterwards, I just felt I wasn't fulfilled enough in kind of building a product and building a team. And so after that, I kind of um, uh, you know, joined, uh, I, 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 I essentially grew up around the business. It's, it's a family owned business. So I kind of grew, grew up around it. And then I came back and I said, you know, um, my, my father asked me, it's like, Hey, is it, uh, worthwhile for you to kind of, you know, take a look and see what you can add, you know, if you can add value to the business. And I told him that I'll take a look for a couple of months and see if it's something interesting that I want to take on. And, uh, if so, I'll, I'll be happy to kind of, you know, add value and grow it further. And as I say, the, the rest is history. So I kind of saw the, a great opportunity to build a product, build a team, and then, um, expand the, uh, the, the foundation of the, of the business, um, even further. And, um, we're, we've been able to grow so much since, um, uh, you know, the early 2010s. So it's been, it's been a great ride. Did your family own it or did your dad just play a large stake in it? Tell us like a little bit more about that. I'm curious. Cause like I watched my dad own a business and it kind of helped me want to get into business and stuff like that. I think that's really interesting. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah. So, um, yeah, we, we do own the business 100%. He started in the business more on the sewing machine side. So that's how he kind of got started. And so we, uh, we were selling sewing machines to South America a lot. Um, but then just found like the margins were, were really tight and, uh, you know, the, the margins were being squeezed and then the, um, distributors would kind of skip over you. If you're just a, a dealer or a master, di a master distributor, they would just skip over you and just go to go directly to the source, which is the, which is a factory. And then that kind of spawned this idea that, okay, we need to find some, uh, a product that's higher margin and that we have control over the entire process. So nobody can just, uh, you know, skip over you and go directly to the source and therefore get it that way. So that ended up to be, uh, you know, our bread and butter, which is in, uh, in broadway machines. And then, um, 
at first we started just redistributing other people's products, but then kind of you know found that because of the quality, because of the you know lack of the uh, lack of control, uh, we really needed to make our own product, and that's when we kind of you know built our whole um, manufacturing facility and a whole team uh, overseas to be able to manufacture our own product, and now do the R and D, the design and manufacturing, all the way to the sales and support. So we kind of control the entire process from end to end. So you fully wow. verticalized, like everything from, from manufacturing to, to sales. I mean, you could buy it direct online, everything. Exactly. So we, we, uh, we really, we really found that the uh, core competitive, uh, the core competitive advantage is in the R and D, right? Like if you don't control the product, you can sell it, which is great, but then at the end of the day, you can't innovate fast enough. You can't get the feedback fast enough to be able to, you know, um, iterate your, your 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 product. And as I'm sure you guys know, in a, in product development, uh, you know, it takes time, it takes a lot of resources and, and effort. Um, and so having control over the R and D and the design was uh, important to us. And we found that like long run, that had to be the way out. So it, it wasn't sustainable just to sell someone else's product. Specifically, like we run, so we run a shop and and we run embroidery machines. I won't say what brand it is, but I've noticed it's it the technology hasn't changed that much. Like, is is that a core of your business? Is like making it like modernizing it because when I when I go to the trade shows and I see some of these machines I'm like wait a second that's like the same computer system from 2010 how can that be right, right? do you just feel yeah. like the industry is so old school that you're like what are we doing here this is 20 it's 2022 right yeah. or like do you <laughs> feel like there's an unfair that. do you feel like there's an unfair advantage to you guys because you're just taking and, and I use this because you went to B school, you were at Goldman, you've seen this happen in very like competitive markets. Mm-hmm. Um, does it does it seem like easy because our, our industry is so old school? Like, I don't know. Yeah. How do I you mean, feel about it? I think uh, I think it goes bo- both ways, right? Like it's it's easy in a sense where if everyone else is just kind of stuck in the old mindset, I mean, like you, you have clearly the upper hand if you're able to innovate, right? Uh, if everyone else is staying stagnant, it's hard in the sense of because this is kind of like the norm that has been uh, built in in the industry over all these years, over decades, and 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 uh, over the entire span of the of the history of the industry, a lot of the mindset and the mentality of the people in the industry is still kind of stuck in the in the same manner, and the customers' mindset are also in this stuck in the same manner. So. Um, it's difficult in the sense where you have to kind of educate the market and you have to kind of drive change by it's it's a slower process because people are kind of entrenched or the incumbents are entrenched uh, and have a specific way of thinking. And therefore, that has affected all the customers over decades and decades of being in that industry. So it's difficult in that sense because you have to educate the market and that and educating any market uh, takes a lot of work and takes a lot of time. And it's a very slow process. It's good in the sense where if everyone if everyone else is still kind of stuck in that old mindset if you just keep at it and you and you are kind of innovating um whether it's in your product or in your approach in your in your marketing uh, in your content if you just kind of um innovate constantly it's eventually going to break through the, you know the the old kind of style of thinking is going to cycle out and then you're kind of like the only thing that the market sees so i think that's that's the that's the good and and the, I think the reason I say it is like I'm on the website right um, Rakoma.com and I see three I see like three big things like second to none customer support direct from the factory 
highest quality in garment customization. But over and over again, you say seven days a week, five years of warranty, zero hassle. I, I, I feel like our industry, when we, these are things that, you know, Amazon does every day for us now. Mm-hmm. But other companies, Bruce, mm-hmm. when we talk about other press manufacturers, like they're not doing these basic things that are so elementary. And then if you scroll down on the website, it even says like, it starts with the enthusiast to the startup to the commercial. So now you're walking your customer, kind of your customer journey all the way to by the time they're commercial. How much of that has been like you like pounding that mission down to your team, you know, from a leadership standpoint? Are you guys constantly focusing on that? Is that is that a big part of what you guys do? Yeah, of course. And I think it starts um, with getting that mentality trickled down through everyone that, you know, day in and day out and every interaction they have with our customers, they they keep those things in mind. The fact that we're able to offer, you know, seven days a week and, and after our support, the only one in the industry being able to do that, it sounds it sounds easy and 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 obvious, right? They're like, okay, yeah, you you know, uh, offering seven day support. Um, it's super helpful for the customer. They can call you on the weekends. It's a lot harder to execute. And so the I think I think it's not that we're the first ones to have thought of that idea. Um, you know, people have definitely done it, not just in our industry, maybe in in uh, definitely in other industries, right? Uh, but it's a lot harder to to execute. So uh, when you have you know thousands and tens of thousands of customers to support, they can call you at any random time on the on the weekend, right? Obviously, we have a set time for our for our um, weekend and after hour schedule. But the fact that we're able to offer you know. Uh, Monday through Friday support from like 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. Eastern time versus just the nine to five that regular companies do. Uh, and the fact that on the weekends, you can still call from like 10, 10, 10 o'clock in the morning to like 5 p.m. in the afternoon. Um, that is kind of a mission that we've set out and also ha- had to overcome a lot of hurdles in executing that. You got to get the right people in place. You got to get the right processes in place. You got to have the right coverage. And a lot of that, you know, it might, while it might seem very obvious and easy to do, it's a lot harder on the back end to execute. And, uh, you know, part of that is just constantly hammering home the mission that we're on to provide the best service in the industry. Um, but also, I think we look very carefully in hiring the right people that can um, fit into that culture and um, you know, buy in fully, buy into our mission of providing that support. And if you can't, if you don't buy into that culture, you know, they very quickly will find out that you know they're not a, going to be a good fit here. How do you? Sh- what are the shifts for a team that works seven days a week? Is it two in like s- Tuesday to to Saturday? Yeah. So yeah, start. exactly. So like they they will still get two con- two consecutive days of uh, of time off. It would just be if they are working on that Saturday, they might get like Sunday and Monday off. Or if they're working on Sunday, then they they get Friday and Saturday off. So they it will still get you know a a, a full weekend. It it would just kind of be staggered. Yeah, that's super interesting. It, I, you know, um, when we started, and I still emphasize this today, is just that really good support as cliche as it sounds is is like a feature of the product uh i mean you like <clears throat> people think that it's a low-hanging fruit but just because everybody says oh great service you know 100 guarantee blah 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 it's all it's on every single person's website but for someone to get an email back you know, in 10 minutes or, or even pick up the phone. <laughs> Sometimes it's shocking, like, cause you call, you know, a small, another small business and you can't get somebody on the phone, but to provide that, uh, 
people ride with you. You know, they, they're, they, they like working with you. It's a part of your service. They could go buy stuff. They could go buy software from any other place um, or home grow it or whatever they want. But that service aspect is pretty Henry, undervalued. How do you measure the success of your service? Like you can obviously measure the success of sales, but do yeah. you, you know, is it response time? Is it net performance? You know, and what is NPS or whatever? How, yeah. Like if, if I was a fly on the wall in your service center, what would that look like? Yeah, it would be, um, response time is definitely part of it. You know, we don't, we don't want to keep customers waiting too long. Um, and response time can fall into kind of, you know, the, how quickly you respond to the tickets that are coming in or, or emails that are coming in. Um, and response time in terms of uh, their wait time in the queue when they're calling in, right? Um, you know, how long are they waiting in queue? Is it uh, average time of um, five minutes, average time of 10, 10 minutes? And then we, you establish a benchmark and you measure against that. And obviously, um, the you know, a, a very kind of high level metric, very, you know, obvious metric is uh, going to be the satisfaction score. You know, if you're receiving a thousand tickets in a monthly basis, how many of those end up in, um, you know, good satisfaction, right? you know, and that's easy to measure just by sending out, you know, an automated kind of a quick one second survey that they can click a button and choose whether they were satisfied or not with the, with the resolution. Um, and those things, you know, you, you get feedback from that and you learn and, you know, um, no, no team or company is perfect, but I think if you enjoy the process enough, you're going to, um, you know, be be immersed in trying to tinker and figure it out, right? I think that's the fun part uh, that I that I wasn't able to do at, at Goldman. That's part of the reason why I left. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Being able to kind of tinker and and mess with the process and be more involved in kind of um, building that team and building that that uh, that um, that, infra- that infrastructure and process to be able to see the the results. The the results at the end game isn't so much you know that. Great, you know, it's it's great that we achieved the goal, but then you kind of move on to the next one, and it. Uh, I think the fun is in the process of, of trying to figure it out. Is that Zendesk? Is that the system you guys use? Yeah, or is it yeah, else? it is. Okay. So, right. so like Zendesk. Henry, do you run like do you use any systems or playbooks? Whether it's like EOS traction, like OKRs, you know, like what what is your operating system that you like live by? You know, like I need these ten metrics every week, like. If 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 I were to shadow you, because I probably need a lot of this help, um, no no B school here, neither for Bruce. Uh, <laughs> what like what what is your playbook as a CEO? Because uh, you know, I, one of my best friends works at Morgan Stanley, and and just watching them and how they operate and looking at the mergers and everything they're doing, I'm just like, whoa, like this is next level stuff, mm-hmm. right? And then they go into PE or they go into the private sector and they just crush it as executives you know, what does that look like for you? Yeah. I mean, and to be honest, uh, you mentioned B school, like I think B school doesn't teach you, uh, much of, much of these things. I think a lot of this is learned on the, on the job and trying to figure it out. I think, um, you know, I think what business school does is give you, and, and any education, it gives you a foundation and a way of thinking, right? It gives you a, a, a way of thinking. It doesn't really give you the, I guess, the tactical things that can be implemented to drive certain results. Um, you know, you might do like case studies and whatnot, but at the end of the day, every case is different. Every situation is different. You kind of have to, on the job, um, adjust and adapt to what's going on. So B-School doesn't really show you a lot of that. I think a lot of this is really learned on the job. But um, in terms of, 
um, you know, the the operating playbook that that we go by, it's really dependent on. We have different metrics for for different teams, right? It's there's no, uh, we don't have like a standard uh, tool or anything that measures a lot of um, KPIs or, or or dashboards. Um, we have some key metrics that we've set out for uh, each team that will give you insight into the health of that. Of that team, as a simple example, you know, if uh, for our fulfillment and logistics team, we want to be able to understand how quickly are we fulfilling the machines, right? If a customer's ordering uh, on on day one, like, is are we fulfilling by day seven or day ten, or how long does it take us to fulfill that order? And that obviously plays into customer satisfaction because um, at the end of the day, the customer uh, we we are promising or the customer is is expecting a certain level of turnaround time, and if you're not able to meet that, they obviously get upset and you get phone calls. Et cetera, et cetera. So um, measuring kind of how, what our what our uh, turnaround time is for machines is is a is a key factor for that particular team. For a service team, it would be you know the number of uh, um, uh, tickets that they're solving, how fast they're they're, they're resolving these issues, and also whether. Um, you know what your kind of level of, of expense is for uh, in warranty calls or um, service calls that you have to go to that you're covering. You know um, uh, all the all the parts and labor and 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 everything like that. And that gives you an idea of your product quality. You know how how good is your quality control and being able to uh, spot trends as to okay why are we going on ten service calls th- this month? Let's say for this one particular problem um, that seems to be a repeat problem. You might want to escalate that to engineering and get that get that taken care of, right? So it's just kind of um, setting out the right KPIs in place. I think you do need to probably look at metrics that's going to move the needle. I, I, I don't like to just look at vanity metrics of like, oh, we uh, got you know ninety five percent satisfaction this month. Like that's a that's to me it's like a vanity metric. It's it's very high level. It's also like just how much sales we got this month, um, how much how much revenue we got this month, right? Like that's a very high level metric. But you want to break down like what are the block, what are the kind of building blocks for you to be able to reach that metric, uh, that, that, that overall goal, um, and try to find ways to kind of navigate that individual metric to see if you can move the needle. I, I think in sales also, it's like our number of cross sales and upsells and our conversion mm-hmm. ratio, right? And you break that down also by, uh, the, the reps that you have. And that gives you an idea of like, who's outperforming, who's underperforming. And then, then you can make adjustments. It's less so about, Hey, great, everyone, we did X million dollars of revenue this month. And, but then you're not really seeing the individual details of how it got you there and make adjustments to be able to increase that even further. You know a ton uh, clearly about the details here and you it sounds like you're pretty <laughs> deep into the weeds but like how, I you know I, I think that's one of the things that we all struggle with is trying to get out of the weeds but also still being able to zoom in. I mean, I remember Bezos was like yeah you have to be able to you know zoom in quick see the the details and then be able to go back up to 40,000 feet. Yeah. Um how do you balance those two? Is it some sort of like weekly, like Stephen mentioned the traction meeting, which teaches you're supposed to have the weekly meeting with your your department heads. They they show you the metrics of each team and then you kind of problem solve what's what's wrong or how to improve. Yep. Um, but how do you balance that? Because I'm sure there's also then, hey, Henry, something's wrong with the warehouse, the garage door's broke or whatever, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
you know, what should we do? So, um, I mean, those things where the where it's like a small problem, yeah, like something wrong with the warehouse or we lost something or whatever the case is, I think that, you know, you got to get the right people in place to be able to handle that. So we have, you know, our operations manager, our VP of operations that will, and, and a warehouse manager that should be able to, you know, handle those type of issues. So that doesn't really, I don't, I don't really get a lot of calls or emails or messages about those type of issues. But uh, uh, to your point of like the, the, the weekly meetings, I think that is um, very necessary. And I do have a weekly meeting with all the, all the department heads where they are all together and they also learn from kind of what other departments are doing, what are the statuses of other departments. Um, each give like a five, 10 minute update as to what's going on. What are some of some initiatives they're, they're doing in their, in their uh, team? Um, what are some statuses? What are some key problems that need uh, maybe um, cross department in involvement? Maybe it's a shipping issue with some escalated customer that sales is, de is dealing with. Um, then shipping needs to be involved. Maybe it's a service issue, you know, with an escalated customer that wants, uh, you know, some some kind of refund or something. You know, you wanna you wanna deal with that also. So it's just getting all the department heads together. You gotta get the right team in place, and then they will take care of a lot of the the nitty gritty details. The you know in the weeds, um, solve probably like you know 95 percent of the problems that you will never you know really be aware of. And then the key metrics that you're looking at will kind of you know you should be able to spot. Um, you know, the, the, oh, this this looks off. Like, you know, I, I think I have a I have a keen set. I guess from the Goldman background, they really taught us to um, do a sanity check on on all the numbers. Because as an analyst, you're doing all these numbers, right? And then your associate or, or VP would be like, "Yeah, that looks wrong." And you and you and then they tell you, "It's like, yeah, this is why I know from just glancing at it for two seconds that it's wrong because they're doing like a very high level sanity check." It's like I don't know what the right number is, but that just looks completely off. So I I think I've I've been trained to to do that for a lot of the numbers that I'm looking at. And when I get reported some number that doesn't make sense, then I start to question like, okay, how, how did you get that? And why is that the case? This sticks out like a sore thumb. Why, you know, why haven't we looked into that? And then when we delve further because of that involvement, um, then you start finding problems like, oh yeah, we didn't realize that we had, uh, you know, X number of losses from uh, this product line that we, that we didn't, didn't see. Right. But it was that key metric that kind of brought it onto the radar and then started to have a discussion. I want to I want to talk a little bit about like education in your YouTube channel. Mm -hmm. You have over a hundred thousand subscribers on YouTube, and I'm I just quickly searched for the other embroidery manufacturers, and like some didn't even have channels. Yeah. Um, how how important you know coming from iBanking, and now talking YouTube and content, you're on a lot of these YouTube videos. How important is that to you? Um, is that did you have someone come in and say, Henry, this is what we got to do, or is this is this kind of rooted in you as as making a ton of content? Because yeah, I think I think it was I think it was uh, you know that definitely no one came in and said like this is what we need to do. But I saw I think you know several years back um, that we needed to do this because everyone in every other industry was doing this. Like if you were if you were a plumber, like the the a plumber was on like uh, YouTube teaching people how to like fix their leak, right? <laughs> like. And then, yeah. you know, like that's, I just saw that, yeah, I just saw that that was so much, um, that was so helpful because like after learning that, like, uh, you know, if that guy was local, 
uh, who am I going to go to when I need um, plumbing services? Like that would that would that person will be first on top of mind, right? So I I thought like this was this education and content was something that's definitely super important, and also because people ask the same questions over and over again. Like people ask like, okay, how how do your your machines? Uh, you know, what are the different models of machines you have? Like what are the what are the similarities and and differences? And you have to explain the same um, answers uh, over and over again. It's just like might as well just put that. Into a into a video, right? Put put out, put that into a video. The same questions that people ask, and put that into con as content. And then we just found that our businesses kind of took off from that content. A lot of people were finding us just organically through these videos. Um, and people that were on the fence thinking about kind of, okay, sh should I go with Recoma for their particular machine? Um, our sales were able to use some of the videos we produce on YouTube to kind of educate the customer further. It's like, this is how you price your items. This is the difference between this machine and this machine. So it was, it, I think it kind of spawned from just getting the same questions over and over and over again. And also from seeing other people in other industries and, and whether it's marketing services that like they were doing the same thing. So like, we found an opportunity that no one else was doing this to this level uh, in our industry. I think it's a it's a good um, you know way, it's good uh, good entrance for us to be able to educate the market and be on top of mind for everyone. It's interesting. I, I, it makes you wonder if there's a lot of business opportunities separately for any company that isn't making regular content to be a manufacturer of. I mean, ink screens, uh, you know, automated equipment, just just. You're just like, wow, if, if somebody literally just dominated the content side of this, they could be the de facto solution. But so w when you started, was was there so, or, or not started, but like when you joined with your dad, I, I read in this article that that was the focus was like, how do I help? I'm sure there's a ton of other things helping with, too, that you were doing. But also like a big one was, all right, how do I really grow this business? So I can help on the marketing side. Um, let me start to dive in. So, you know, you jump in, I'm sure there's like very little, you know, set up there. H how do you start adding value? Because I'm also thinking about it from a business that doesn't do a lot of marketing, which most of our shops probably are more reliant on inbound sales and, and just the natural, you know, SEO of being local. Um, but you jump in, you start wanting to be the, the knowledge source for the space. W what do you do? At first, we didn't even have like a marketing department, so it was really the only marketing that we really did was was paid advertising on Google. We were, I think we were spending maybe like five hundred bucks a month, um, maybe a thousand a thousand bucks a month just to you know get leads coming in, kind of like what you were saying, just just mm -hmm. inbound sales, right? Like you know get leads. Uh, and route them to sales. People talk to them and try to close those deals. Uh, we didn't have a lot of kind of you know outbound and outwards content, and. Um, we started by just, again, like I said, just listening to our customers, looking at what are the common questions that are being asked. And and I think at one point we um, gathered the entire company. This was this was when we only had like maybe like 20 people. So it was okay. It was easier to do that. Um, so we gathered the entire company and, say, and said, okay, like everyone is responsible for 
creating content. It's not just content team or not just marketing team. Like sales get questions all the time. You guys are having hundreds of phone calls with customers all day long. I'm sure there's a ton of questions, right? Um, service, you're getting questions all the time from customers. How do I do this? How do I do that? I was like, everyone needs to be kind of involved in content content creation. And I think that just gave a huge spurt of just this um, entire, I guess, engine of people just listening in more closely to what customers are asking, whether it's from service, whether it's from sales, um, and all of that being funneled to kind of um, our content engine and marketing, kind of like cleaning it up, making videos about it, um, writing blogs about it, um, and being able to expand on those topics further. And then in turn, sales gets uh, gets gets like an assist in their sales by these articles or by these videos that end up closing deals and they feel more motivated that like oh wow like yeah the um question that i gave about like what's the difference between your two machines um actually like i sent that article or sent that video to a customer and that helped and that helped me close that deal uh or made that uh, made that customer more comfortable in answering their 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 question and um they get more confident in being able to co to contribute so it's kind of like if fed itself when people felt that they were being being helped uh, in their job and make, make their lives easier in, the, in their job um, by contributing to that content engine. So that's really how we kind of um, really kickstarted a lot of the uh, content creation just by essentially crowdsourcing a lot of the content that was, um, you know, uh, that customers wanted to, to, to see. And uh, it's kind of stemmed from all the interactions that our team had with customers on a daily basis. Henry, how big is your marketing department? Um, right now, it's about, probably about 20 people just in marketing. And and essentially what you're saying is marketing is teeing up opportunities for sales, right? Like they're, mm -hmm. they're at the top of the funnel. They're also educating for support and success, right? Yeah. Um, and, and I guess like what was the tipping point? Was there an aha moment when you're like, wait a second, like this is actually organically working? Like if we were to look at your marketing team five years ago to today... How, how much different or, or were you like, I'm going to front load marketing um, heavy or was it organic? Tell me about the growth of that, because like in our business right now, we're slowly adding more marketing people. And then I'm starting to see like the value add. Um, and I'm like, man, I wish I did this earlier. I wish I did this mm -hmm. earlier. How long ago was it when you really like stepped on it? Uh, I would say probably like 20, thinking back, probably around like 2018, 2019 was when we really kind of like doubled and tripled down on, on, on marketing. Um, at first, like my, my, my dad wasn't, wasn't really kind of convinced that uh, right. this was going to work. Right. Cause Don't waste marketing, your money on that. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Right. Um, and, uh, because marketing is harder to measure, like sales is easy to measure. It's like, okay, I hired a salesperson. This is the, uh, number of uh, the amount of revenue they're able to bring in. This is the number of deals that they closed. It's very easy to measure kind of like a salesperson's performance, right? Much harder to measure how much a graphic designer or a uh, content writer is contributing to your bottom line. So it's, it was much harder to, to justify for, for that. Um, and in the beginning, I remember very clearly having this, uh, you know, pretty heated conversation with my father that was like, you know, hey, we're, we're, he's like, wow, we're, we're like spending X amount of money on advertising. You know, we're, you know, hire, you have like, uh, that's my thing, like four or five people on the marketing team. Um, but it's not like our revenue is like generating, it's like, it's not like much higher than, than before. But this was maybe like 
what three four months into the uh, to the whole process, and I knew that there was a, it's got to be a much longer game, right? Like you're not going to see a success overnight if you're investing in, in in marketing. You know, if you're putting into ads, you can see like a direct response to your leads, but like that still takes time to translate into sales and content. Just gonna, it's it's much more intangible. So um, it was a much longer game that we were playing, and I remember this very heated conversation. I was like, you know, you know, it, it's. I told him, it's like, I don't think we should focus on being so short-sighted and just looking at what's the immediate return on our marketing. I think that's not be able to be measured, but we see that our, you know, uh, reach is increasing, right? I don't know. I can't quantify for, for you how much that's in terms of revenue, but I believe that that's going to only increase further if you increase your education. It was it was a little bit of a bet, right? But I, I, I kind of knew that it was kind of a safer bet because... Like I saw everyone else doing it in other industries, so it had to work. Like, why? Why do people do this? You know, spend time making videos and creating content if it didn't work. So it was really this this period of time where we had to just push through. And then once we started to see, oh wow, instead of selling like twenty machines a month, we were selling like thirty, we were selling like forty, we were selling fifty, and then we were consistently at that point. We we're like, oh wow, okay, something is is clicking. Either you know our advertising coupled by kind of just our our organic reach, people seeing our content, um, our YouTube channel was 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 growing. I mean, we started out with like nine hundred um, subs when I I think when I first joined, and then so it's just like growing it just organically from 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 that. Um, we just saw the compounding effect of content and organic reach and uh, just, you know, general education of the market. And um, after that, we're just like, yeah, we, we got to go all in. We got to hire more more developers, more graphic designers, more marketers, content writers. Um, I mean, we have like four people on the video team um, just now creating all these like demo videos and content, you know. So we, we really doubled down on just making sure that we had the right team in place because now we realize, yeah, there's a lot more to do. We kind of went a, a, a with a pilot and then there's a lot more to do that, that we can expand to that we want to you know do a lot more a lot faster so we had to expand the team that way what was the what, what was the conclusion from the argument just like give me 12 months and no it was just like it was just like look i, I, think, I think i told him at, at one point i was like look if you want to shut it down like you can you know I, there's nothing much that i can do but i but but if you want to shut it down and and you know let go of the entire marketing team like you're feel free to do that but i don't think that's the that's the right move i was like you're i was like you're looking at the numbers from maybe like one or two months of just like stagnation from the you know maybe six months that we were into into this project right like that's very very short-sighted in terms of um the time frame i didn't tell him like oh give me six months or give me 12 months because to, to to be honest i didn't know how long it was going to take to <laughs> right, <laughs> for, right. for it to but, get to that point so i was like look it's it's got to take time i don't know how long it's gonna take but you got to believe in the process but hey if you want to if you want to just scrap everything and because you feel like it's not working do that as well and i think i, th I think like maybe like years later he, he he ended up telling me it's like yeah it's like if 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 you weren't family and someone else was having that conversation with me i probably would have just like scrapped everything and it's just like start <laughs> start over but because you know, i was like you know I, I wanted to give you a chance to to, to 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 try and then i was like uh, it ended up being the best decision we've we've ever made, right? So yeah. I th I think it's interesting. So like in our industry, I'll just name a few. Like Ryan Moore from Ryanet, right? Like yeah, making educational videos early on and teaching people, and then mm -hmm. growing with them as customers. That is so sticky that it's it's there forever, right? And they can keep capitalizing on it. Um, and then you see competitors trying to backtrack and be like, we'll do a little bit of that and see if it works. It's a very long game. Another one, Bruce, is like Supercolor. 
And and when Rum came to the first print hustlers with just samples, and it was very early on, right? And now it's a content making educational machine that just so happens. And to Printavo's credit, Bruce, like early days, you would just you know, be like, Hey, I need you to write a blog. Can you write a blog? Can you write a blog a week? Help write it. Cause I'm not in a shop. Like, we, you know, I was in there for a year and then Steven's like growing and kind of documenting his journey. So yeah. But, but, but if you think about it, like it's hard for a company then to backtrack like the competitors they like it's like them. You're running a marathon that well, you started right. five, if five it's years not ago. A, if it's not in the strategy, and you're just like it's not part of something that you're doing and care about long term. Then it's just you, you you can't like just dip your toe in for. There's no short term fix to it whatsoever. Yeah, no. how, how do you deal with that? See, I mean, you kind of jumped into you know family owned, and like I'm sure you had new ideas that were not. Uh, like, Hey, we need to do this. Like, how, how do you work through that? And I know a lot of our, our, the shops we work with too, are in the same boat. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I ask for forgiveness, not permission. You know, <laughs> like I think when I talk to my business partner, who's like close enough to be my father, you know, I actually had two business partners at the time. Um, one that encouraged me, but didn't understand what was going on. The other that was kind of pessimistic about it all. Um, and I just kind of trudged ahead. I, I was very much like, like, hey, this is this is the new way of thinking. This is the new way of doing it, you know. And and it, we had a lot of hard conversations. Like, why do you need to take them out to dinner once a week, or why do you need to plan retreats, and why do you need to do all these things? And it's like, no, no, no. Like, if we're gonna do this right, you know, it it has to be special. It has to be unique. And now it's a part of our identity, um, and why people want to work for us and, and 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 grow there. So, like, Bruce, to your question definitely tough conversations. I think if you are in a family business or you have the younger owner and the older owner or the younger person, you have to let the new ideas like fly. You can't keep curbing them. To your point, Henry, like your dad just wasn't part of how he ran a business and he didn't understand, but it's not any fault to his own. He just, that's not what he knew what to do. Right. And so I think to, to these smaller shops that have these people, they have to let them fly and let them do that. Like we have interns right now making TikToks for us and I'm sitting there like laughing at them. I'm like, I could never make these if my life <laughs> depended on them and they're going viral. And I'm just like, <laughs> great job. Like you do your TikToks, you do your thing. Like we could never, Bruce and I tried to make a couple Steve's ones. the old guy now. I'm the <laughs> old TikTok. guy now, right? Um, but, but like those generational gaps are going to exist and you have to be conscious about them. And you know, you have to try new things out because Let's just say this, like three years ago, TikTok didn't exist. Yeah. And now it's like, if you're not on TikTok, you're missing out or whatever, right? Yeah. So I don't know. Bruce, what's that strategy like at Printavo? I know you're content crazy. Is everyone else bought into it too? Or do they just think you're the crazy person? No, I, I think it didn't make sense for sure for the first probably year or so. And it didn't make sense to me as well as like, is this really worth the time? But I my thought was the same as, as yours, Henry, was that these other space, like I'm on YouTube, I'm watching all these other things. Like I'm trying to pick up on these people. And, and so how do we become the knowledge source for the space? But it was baked into like what I believed long-term. It just, it didn't, it didn't show an ROI probably for a good year, probably more so two years um, of like then the sales people mentioning it again, like, Oh, don't stop doing those. And you yeah. Know. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think what's hard though is, is how do you keep doing it long term? So, you know, 
you can get kind of burnt out uh, doing the same videos or like, what do I talk about? Or, you know, and, and, and maybe that is like with building the team, like you did of just adding people, letting them source ideas, letting the whole team source ideas, putting them in a dock, you know, pulling it off your shoulders. Cause especially as a business grows, you just get so much busier and you're like, geez, For sure. is this video is the most important thing I should be doing or what, you know, no, yeah, for sure. I, I, I find that, um, I mean, I uh, experience that right now. Like, you know, they, they have to set aside time on my schedule for me to shoot the videos. And sometimes I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm burnt out sometimes. I'm like, oh, man, I got I got like 100 other things to take care of that like seems more a lot more urgent. It's like mm-hmm. it's spending like an hour, an hour and a half shooting a video. Like, you know, so I, I sometimes keep on uh, pushing it off. It's like, oh, let's do it tomorrow. Let's do it tomorrow. But at the end of the day, I realize it's like, yeah, we got to we got to get this done. Right. And so um, sometimes, you know, when you're when you're the CEO or you know when you're at a higher level in the in the organization you kind of have to just be the be the face of the of the company like that's a lot of where you spend your time being the face of, of recruiting of, of retaining talent um, and then being the face of the company to your to your customers right but yeah you're right a lot of the ideas are generated behind the scenes of like you know people looking scouring through Facebook groups or you know comments to see what questions people ask and we just try to make that process easier because you know there's a there's a lot of knowledge that we can all we can all share in our in our businesses. I think sometimes it's me? just a little hard. It's like, okay, what do people want to hear about? So if we can make that nope. process easy, you can just ramble on for like thirty minutes talking about a topic, and it's it will it will you know sound good to the to the customer, right? So as long as it's something that they're interested in, and we can source that topic. I think it makes the rest like the shooting part is easy. I think the thinking about you know what to shoot, how to shoot it, that's the difficult part. Great, Gary V said. Uh think about documenting the process not right like not not content about. creation yeah right and it becomes right. easier is like oh yeah. i had this problem okay document like i'm sure other small businesses that would be my customer have the exact same problem of, uh, of hiring or this problem or whatever i have a i have a question can i switch gears for a sec i'm just kind of yeah. looking and and the reason i ask this is like when i when we buy an embroidery machine we're good for a while right like is the mm-hmm. majority of your revenue on existing customers or is it new customers? Like, cause once you're service maybe, look, or is it, cause I'm noticing like y'all sell vinyl cutters, sewing machines, embroidery accessories, also software is in there. How much mm-hmm. of your revenue is, is, is just like embroidery machines? I'm just curious for, for shops yeah. listening. Um, I mean, still the a large majority of our revenue com- comes from that. Cause that's our, that's our bread and butter. We've only recently probably in the last, uh, you know, 24 months have expanded into like other product lines in a, in an, in an aggressive way. So embroidery definitely still plays a huge part in that. Um, I would say that, uh, uh, a big portion is still coming from new new business, right? So new clients. Um, but over the last several years, because we've been gl- growing at such a fast clip, um, we've planted a lot of seeds, so to speak, in the marketplace. And so now, uh, in the recent years, in the last probably like you know twelve to eighteen months, we've we've recently started to see a lot more repeat business of uh, people that are that got into the business from kind of you know just starting out, and then now they're expanding their equipment base because they're they're needing more to fulfill orders right to fulfill them faster or they're expanding into direct to garment printing or vice versa they're in they're, they were in screen printing they got into embroidery and now they're expanding embroidery even further so i think we we've we've been seeing a lot more repeat business in recent years and i and i think that's that's going to continue to to happen but but you're right like um, i'm also thinking like how can we create 
recurring revenue in the in the in the long run, right? Because you're right. When you buy an embroidery machine, you know you're good for five, ten, fifteen years, maybe, right? So, um, you know, you might not be able to get that second sale until much uh, later, uh, either when they're kind of switching out their equipment, or hopefully if they're expanding their equipment base, um, then you might be able to capture that. Um, revenue sooner. But uh, I'm also thinking kind of like how to create recurring revenue on a yearly basis, you know, from our ecosystem. Henry and Steven, we got the two embroidery master. Can I call you an embroidery master, Steven? <laughs> Me? Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> what are, what are uh, some I'm, things? I mean, we, we, we embroider, but I am not, I can, I can barely hoop and the, I can cut backing. That's about it. <laughs> <laughs> Pass me the scissors. Um, what are some things for embroidery businesses? I, I've heard this feedback before that we don't cover enough for uh, majority embroidery businesses. So tips that uh, those types of shops can do to help improve. Obviously, there's the the kind of professionalization of the business, but you know, um, any best practices, Henry, that you see, any any tips there, any uh, um, things that will help save them time. Yeah, so I mean, I guess we can break it down into like the production process versus like the I guess your sales and marketing process. I think I think the production process and um, I think a lot of shops. I mean, they have they've they've got their production processes pretty pretty worked out. Yeah, so uh, probably on the pro- production side, you want to make sure that your operations is is as efficient as possible, right? You want to make sure your your operators are trained properly. Um, you want to make sure that you have like almost like a production line going. When even if you're you know screen printing, you got your dryers ready. Or if you're embroidering, you got people that are able to clean up the embroidery. Just kind of have a have a nice flow. Um, make sure your operators are trained on on you know being able to handle multiple machines, so that increases their their capacity of being able to operate those machines at the same time um, all of that is is really important uh, on the on the operational side and then on the sales side I think on just your sales operations I think that's where a lot of maybe smaller shops are a little bit uh, weaker at right because they're and and it's natural when you're getting into the business you're focusing on production you know it's like I got into it as a as a as a one-man show and um, I'm producing all these all these pieces of apparel and fulfilling these orders that's your natural focus you're not really focused on hey sales process and marketing process follow-ups etc right um, and I think you, uh, Bruce you talked about this a, a lot uh, you know the follow-ups uh, are super important in in any sales process whether regardless of any industry that you're in and so people are not naturally going to transact with you on the uh, first interaction just like you wouldn't uh, ask someone to get married on the on the first date right like that's just not not a natural course of uh, human interaction so the follow-ups is super important and I think probably a lot of shops are missing out on potential revenue leaving money on the table by simply not following up it's like if I gave you a quote and uh, you didn't respond and then I just move on to the the next quote that this, some other guy asked me but that follow-up you might be able to capture I don't know 20 30 40 percent of your of, of those um processes you know back into 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 revenue and that can you know dramatically boost your business without having to acquire new 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 customers right like i think a, a big part of what we're doing in sales right now is like okay if marketing just was was not was was stagnant today and we're not increasing a single dollar of marketing spend and this is what we have to work with how do we increase sales that's what we're that's like the the million dollar question we're trying to figure out. It's like, how do you increase sales by 20%, 30% if marketing stayed stagnant and we're not we're, we're not increasing marketing spend? 
and that's the uh, that's that's the that's the goal to get to. Because then you know you can when you have multiple levers in your business that you can pull, you can increase marketing. You can you know your sales is doing better. This has been prices awesome. Are better. You, then you're like four xing, five xing your business instead of just you know one uh, x or two x, right? So that's uh, that's the kind of problem we're trying to figure out, and I think it's a very interesting thing to tackle. I'm pulling up real quick. I want just want to shout out Deco Summit. Pulling up the dates, October 7th and 9th is Rakoma's uh, apparel education experience with a heavy embroidery focus. I went to the last one, which was really cool. Um, they've got a bunch of machines, ton of education, whether you're just getting into it or you're looking to add machines. Definitely check it out. Deco Summit, D-E-C-O Summit.com. Henry Ma, thank you. This has been thank you, Bruce. Uh, and uh, and Bruce, yeah, you're 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 going to be there as a as a speaker. So I am. I am going to be there. So again. come out, coming out. Uh, it's is it in Miami or yeah? Florida? It's 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 right by the airport. Oh, okay, sweet. So Miami, if you want a fun uh, trip to Miami too, <laughs> double up. <laughs> Always. Thanks, guys, for listening <laughs> to the Pratava podcast. Bruce from Pratava, Steve Farrick, Henry Ma from Racoma. We'll see you in the next episode.